Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning, we're continuing in our series on the life of Joseph. The title of the message this morning is, This is Good? The text will be Genesis 37, verses 12 through 14. Please enjoy. All righty, Genesis chapter 37 this morning, Genesis chapter 37. We're in the middle of a series in the life of Joseph life of Joseph this morning and uh, continuing in that Genesis chapter number 37 and uh, we're going to get into that this morning we don't have any we don't have any electrical power but we got the power of God this morning we got the spirit of God where two or three are gathered in my name I'm among them and God is here and Jesus is here and he's with us and he wants us to worship him and glorify him and lift up his name and that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. And the devil can't discourage us. The devil can't get us down. It doesn't matter what he throws at us. And uh, the Lord is still going to be on the throne. And we are so thankful for that this morning. Genesis chapter 37. One last time, I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence the word of God. We're going to read three verses and then sit back down. Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse number 12. And his brethren went to feed their flock in Shechem, And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem. Come, I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said, Go to him, go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. The title of the message this morning is, This is good? This is is good? Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. Lord, after what we've been through uh, the past couple months and not being able to come to the house of God, Lord, uh, no power is not going to stop me from coming to the house of God. Lord, it's not going to stop me from sitting in this church and and preaching your word and and studying your Bible, Lord, and getting in a, a better relationship and closer to you. Lord, we want to thank you that we still have a place we can come to. And Lord, we want to thank you that we have a place that we can wake up to on Sunday morning and come to the house of God. We thank you for that. I pray that you'd bless the message this morning. I pray that you'd bless these people. Lord, I pray the Spirit of God on this place today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, we're going to continue to read the rest of this story, starting in verse number 15. And uh, we're just going to read through the rest of the chapter. And uh, beginning in verse number 15, continuing, it says, And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when he saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it and delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. 
And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and a balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, This the child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed the kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him because he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaohs and captain of the guard. Now that was a lot of scripture this morning, but I wanted to get this story inside of your head. I wanted you to see it. And, you know, the title, like I said, the title of the message this morning is This is Good. I mean, Joseph could even even ask that question in the middle of what was going on with him. He could ask the question, This is good? Are you serious, God? Are you for real? Have you ever walked into a situation and it was just mass chaos, mass hysteria, and asked the question, who's in charge around here? I mean, everybody's running around with like a chicken with their head cut off, and you ask the question, who is in charge? You know, sometimes, you know, when, I, when I'll hire a new crew, and every once in a while I'll have to hire a whole new crew at my shop, and I'll try to get them trained, and I'll try to get them lined out, and uh, sometimes to see if they can handle things without me, I'll go run some errands. And, of course, my errands are getting coffee at Burger King, but I'm running errands. And so I'll go run errands, and I have to make sure Emily's not there because Emily will keep them in line. But if she's not there, I'll go run some errands just to see how they can handle being by themselves. And, you know, especially whenever it's a brand new crew and a brand new assistant manager, it takes a little while for them to get used to things. And so I'll leave for a while and I'll go run my errands and uh, I'll come back. And when I come back, it's just like coming into mass hysteria. The, the cars are all everywhere. 
everywhere. The customers don't know where to line up at and uh, they don't know who's next and customers are getting mad because they've, they've gotten skipped in line and then you've taken this customer and you've checked this customer out with this ticket. So this customer is paid for this guy's truck and this guy paid for this car over here and it's just mass confusion and mass hysteria and you just got to ask the question, man, is, is anyone in charge? Who's in charge around here? And that would be me. And uh, so, uh, uh, the, so uh, you know, who's in charge around here? And, and looking at the life of Joseph, someone might ask the same question. In World War II, there was a soldier, soldier mad at the war, and he yelled out from the ranks and he said, why doesn't God just stop this war? There was another soldier down the line who was a Christian who heard that soldier. And this Christian soldier yelled back to that soldier, why? He didn't start it, you know. And, uh, and so many times, you know, people blame God for things they don't like, but they accuse him of trouble that they find themselves in. I want to understand this morning that God gave us something. God gave us liberty. God gave us free will. And what that means this morning is God gave us the privilege of choice. But not only did God give us the privilege of choice, another thing comes with that, and it's the corresponding coincidence of choice. See, not only do I have the privilege of choice, but also along with that, I have the consequences of choice. But I don't want you to misunderstand this. I want you to understand it. Even though I have the privilege of choice and I have to live with the consequences of that choice, at the same time, and this is what some people can't believe, but the Bible teaches both of this. At the same time, my choices do not thwart the will of God. At the same time, my choices do not thwart the will of God. God is still in control. He is what we call a sovereign God. Samuel Fisk wrote this. The more profound a truth is, the more difficult it is to comprehend its total sweep. As in the case in the manner of recognizing God's absolute sovereignty along with man's free and responsible will. But anything short of acknowledging both, it appears would be to see only one side of the picture. And I think this is what a lot of Calvinists may have may miss. And that is this fact that, yes, that God is sovereign and God is in control. But at the same time, at the same exact time, I have a free will and I make my own choices and, and I suffer the consequences of that choice. But at the same time, God is in control and God is sovereign and God is pulling the strings. And a lot of people can't see how both can be true at the same time. But I assure you, the Bible teaches both and both are true. We have a sovereign God this morning. God is absolutely sovereign. God is absolutely in charge of this ship. He's the one steering. He's the one who takes the king's heart and turns it the way he wants it to go. He's the one who takes the mast and steers the ship in the direction that he wants it to go. He's the one who makes the wind blow in the direction he wants it to go. We have a sovereign God this morning. We have a sovereign God that this pandemic did not surprise. It didn't surprise him. It was in his plans. We have a president this morning that is in the office because God put him there. And guess what? The president before him, God put him in there too. 
God is the one who is in control of this. God is the one who's sovereign. God is, you know, there are a lot of benefits to having a sovereign God. I don't know if you thought about it or not, but there are some truths in the Bible that are a result of us having a sovereign God this morning. The Bible says in Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful. Why do I have this peace that can rule in my heart? Because I know I have a God that's sovereign. Because I know I have a God that's in control. When that, when that verse says the peace will rule in your hearts, it's like an umpire. An umpire in a baseball game. And the umpire says what goes, what stays, what's right, what's wrong. And basically, the peace of God in your heart is how you discern the will of God. If you have peace about it and it matches up with this Bible, it's the will of God. Okay, and and that's a benefit of having a sovereign God. God is in such complete control that he gives peace to those who seek after his will. But even though you may choose not to seek after his will, that doesn't mean his will won't come to fruition because you can't thwart the will of God. Next, we have 2 Corinthians 9, 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. God is in so much control of my life that he already has everything planned out. He has everything that I need planned out and I will get it at the time I'm supposed to get it. Almost like playing through a video game. I'm playing through a video game with the boys and we're playing Breath of the Wild and we're playing uh, on their Nintendo. And, you know, when you come up on a, a spot and there's a whole bunch of hearts and a whole bunch of weapons, you know, you're about to you're about to fight a boss. OK, save the princess. And uh, so you're about to do that. Our life, God has put things in our life, and although we can't see it, God is in such control that he's already given us everything that we need. It's just the timing of when we get it. That's how in control he is. Um, you know what? When you go forth to sow, you ask God to give you the seed. Um, when, you're, when you're sowing and you're hungry after, you ask God to feed you. When you're disappointed in the results, you ask God to increase the fruit. God is my supplier. He is a sovereign, uh, that God that has supplied all my needs, and I am thankful for that. 2 Corinthians 4.15 says, listen to this. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Let's think of let's, let's pick that apart just for a second. That verse says for all things. So that means all blessing and cursing. That means the surprise check in the mail. And that means the car breaking down for all these things. The Bible says are for your sakes. You know what that means? That means it's all for my promotion. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's blessing, whether it's cursing, it's all for my sake. It's all for my promotion. All of them. You know that word redound? That word redound is a New Testament Bible word. It means to excel. It means to abound. It means exceeding, bubbling over. And it means it's all to the glory of God. So, 
Today, something happens to us and we ask the question, is this really for my good? God, I'm supposed to be thankful for this, but this is a bad thing. This isn't a blessing. This is a cursing. Am I supposed to be thankful for this? And according to the God-inspired scriptures that are always accurate, yes, you are. You are supposed to be thankful for it. You've got to be thankful for it because it's all for your sake. Now, how we navigate all these things is that's key. I'm not telling you you have to enjoy every bad thing that happens to you. I'm, Joseph surely did not, okay? So even though all these things, good and bad, are for your sake, how we navigate all these things is key to what's going on. Now, we're going to see many challenges in Joseph's life. And these challenges are going to mount and they're going to get bigger stakes and they're going to get bigger and bigger. But I want to show you as we walk through Joseph's life, how he took these circumstances and he redounded them to the glory of God. And that's what we're going to look at. And I talked about this Wednesday night for another thing, but I love it when I love it when God paints a picture, when God starts to paint a picture. And that's what. God does with the life of Joseph is he paints a wonderful picture and it's a picture of Christ. Now, if there's one scripture, if there's one verse in scripture that reflects Joseph as much as Jesus, it's John 1:11 that says, "He came unto his own and his own received him not." Now, if there's any scripture that reflects both men, it's John 1, 11. He came unto his own and his own received him not. In fact, that's point number one this morning. Point number one, he came unto his own, parentheses, as a part of God's plan. So if you're taking notes, point one is he came unto his own, parentheses, as a part of God's plan. Genesis 37, 12 through 14. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem. Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and so he came to Shechem. You know, some picture Jacob as only being concerned about Joseph. But that's not the case. It is true that Jacob had an unhealthy attachment to Joseph when compared to his other sons. But to say that Jacob cared nothing for his other sons was very untrue. Jacob loved his other sons. In fact, Jacob knew that they were wayward. Jacob had some wild wild boys on his hands and Jacob knew that they were that they were wayward but I, I I want you to see I want you to notice two things about Joseph right here under point number one this morning two things I want you to notice about Joseph number one is Joseph had no reserve he had absolutely no reserve I want you to notice Joseph's readiness to go Jacob came to Joseph and Jacob said, Joseph, I need you to go to Shechem to your brothers. And what did Joseph say? Joseph said, here am I. You know where they were at? They were at Hebron. 
Do you know what Hebron means? Hebron means fellowship. So where Joseph was, and catch this, catch it, Joseph was having fellowship with his father at this time. That's interesting. He, Hebron means fellowship. So he's, under, he's enjoying, Joseph is enjoying fellowship with his father. And I want you to notice the careful words. It says he sent him out of the veil of Hebron. So Joseph is having fellowship with his father in the veil of Hebron. So veil is like protection. So at this place where Joseph is at, he's with the father. He's having fellowship with the father. He's protected with the father. And the father wants to send Joseph out. He wants to send him out. He wants to send him away from fellowship with the father. He wants to send him away from protection with the father and send him to a very dangerous place. And his father was not only willing to offer his well-beloved son, but that son, that well-beloved son, was also willing to follow the command. He was willing to go. And you know, and as Joseph starts out on his journey to his brothers, you could almost hear Jacob whisper under his voice, surely they will accept my son. Surely they will accept my son. You know, there's a parable in Mark 12. There's a, a master of a vineyard. He leaves a vineyard with his stewards and he goes off on a journey. And while he's gone, the stewards overthrow the vineyard and take over things. And so the master begins to send servant after servant after servant to the stewards of the vineyard and tell them, hey, you need to stop this. The master's going to come back one day. You need to give the vineyard back to the master. And every servant that the master sent, they killed. But then the master said, you know what? I'll send my son. Surely, if I send my son, they'll listen. Mark 12, 6 and 7. Having it therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, they will, they will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. Joseph was the son who was willing to go. You know, Shechem was a place of bad memories for this family. Shechem wasn't a good place. Shechem was actually a place where Dinah, Joseph's daughter, lost her moral innocence. It's also the place where Simeon and Levi lost their moral integrity when they slaughtered all the men of this village. This, this, was, not a, this was not a pleasant place. This was a very dangerous place. And Joseph knew the dangers. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew what had happened to this place. He knew he was in fellowship and protection with the Father. And he knew what going to that dangerous place meant. And Joseph still said, here am I. Here am I. You know, it appears to me that the one thing that Joseph holds on to more than anything else is the will of his father. Are you seeing the picture this morning? Are you seeing the correlation here? What did Jesus say? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work.
John 6, 38, For I am come down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Psalms 48, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy laws within my heart. Joseph decided, I'm going to do the will of the Father. It doesn't matter if I'm going to leave fellowship. It doesn't matter if I'm going to leave the protection. It doesn't matter that I'm going to go into a dangerous place where people get killed and bad things happen. That doesn't matter. I have to do the will will of my father and the bible says he sent him out of the vale of hebron and he came to shechem so first thing we have this morning is we have no reserve joseph didn't hesitate joseph said i'm going it doesn't matter what i'm leaving it doesn't matter what i'm going into i'm going i've got no reserve but then number two i want you to see there was no return no return you know joseph came to shechem you know what Shechem means? Shechem means shoulder. It means shoulder. Why? Because Shechem is the place you go to bear burdens. Shechem is the place you go to bear burdens. So Joseph was in Hebron. He was in the fellowship, protection of the father. He went to a place where he was to bear a burden, but not his own. It wasn't his burden that he was going to bear. And once again, God the Father is painting in the life of Joseph a picture of Christ. Because this is a perfect picture this morning of what Christ went through. 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. He bore my sin our sins Isaiah 53 4 through 6 surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all on that cross so many years ago he bore the burden of our sin it wasn't his to carry he carried my burden but i want you to understand this morning that jesus didn't just carry burdens two thousand years ago let me tell you this morning christian that jesus is in the burden carrying business today he still is in the job of carrying burdens. Because let me tell you today, if your burden is heavy and your yoke is heavy, then Jesus isn't helping you bear your burdens. He said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight thirty, 28, 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When the ancient farmers would train a new ox, what they do is they get this young ox and they yoke him up with an older, stronger, more experienced ox. And that ox would bear the burden while uh, the young ox learned to do what he was supposed to do. And if your yoke is hard and your burden is heavy, then it isn't his yoke and it isn't his burden and you are not letting him bear it with you. Because Jesus said today, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you ever come in your life and you ever said the words, Lord, I can't take this. Lord, 
I can't take it. It is too much for me to bear. I'm telling you, Christian, yes, you can. Either one of two things, either you're not a child of God and you don't have him in your heart, and if so, he needs to get in your heart, or two, you are a child of God, but you're still trying to do this on your own. You can't do that. He is the burden bearer. Let him bear your burden today. Number two this morning, second point, his own received him not, parentheses, and God remains in control. His own received him not, and in parentheses, and God remains in control. Genesis 37, 18 through 20. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Now we can obviously see the parallels between Jesus' life and the life of Joseph, but what I want to do is I want to take a few moments and I want to talk about what lay before Joseph. Apparently, Jacob grossly misunderstood his children. He grossly misunderstood the, the, the wicked ways and the depravity and the depth of hatred that his other children had for Joseph. He truly failed to know his own children. In our society, sadly, not many things have changed today. Not many things have changed today because we have parents that don't know their children. Not only do they not know their children, but they fail to know the human heart that is within your children. I'm telling you, oh, oh, my little angel, He'll never do anything. He's just so good. My little angel. Your little angel's born a sinner. Okay? He was born with a heart that is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You have to come in knowing that. If you don't, you don't think that your, your, your kids are, or will turn up good just on their own, that's not how this works. You have to understand the depravity of your children, and you have to understand the, the human heart that is within them. Listen. What you ever heard? There's this thing out there. It's called passive parenting. Okay. Another name for it is permissive parenting. And what it is, it's parenting flexible to the extreme. Parents go with the flow with their children and don't have any boundaries. A passive parent makes, lets the children make the rules or they make the rules. And when the rules are broken, there are no consequences. A passive parent tends to make excuses for their children's behavior. And, and a passive parent may rationalize their parents' behavior, their children's misbehavior instead of discovering the cause of it. Or say, oh, oh, he, he's just having a bad day. He's just precocious and curious and he's eccentric. And they make up all these excuses for their children's behavior. This is the parenting style that is promoted by the world today. This is the parenting style that they want your kids to follow after, that they want you to do. And, and, and let me give you some examples of it. Allowing your child to set their own bedtime regardless of the hour they choose. Repeatedly telling your child no, but never issuing any consequences for misbehavior. Accepting your child's misbehavior as kids being kids or curiosity. 
Letting your child watch a TV show after you told them to turn the TV off. Giving your child a toy um, despite their screaming and yelling in the store as a reward to get them to stop screaming and yelling. Allow your child to break rules because they're having a bad day. Uh, giving in to your child's temper tantrums after setting a rule or limit. Letting your child eat ice cream or candy because they refuse to eat their vegetables for dinner. Letting your child talk back at you or yell at you because he or she is angry. Now, let me tell you something. The other day, I was watching a Facebook video. And man, they, some of you may have watched the same video. And they un, he, uh, the dad, he, he unwrapped this big, big screen TV and was putting it up on the, on the counter. And, and little Junior reached and grabbed a hammer and started hitting the screen with the hammer. And they were like, no, no, please stop. Don't do that. You know how much I paid for this. And, and they, he was just pushing the child back. But then, please don't do this. And the child was just smashing. Before you knew it, the child had the TV on the ground. And he's hitting it with the hammer. And the parents are pleading with the child, please don't do this. Do you know how much I spent on it? Please don't do it. What are you doing? And I commented on the video and I said, this has to be fake. This can't be real life. What parents would allow their child to do something like that? But the sad thing is, is it probably wasn't fake. It was probably real. There was no doubt in my mind there's probably a situation that's happened before. And you want to reach out and slap them. Not the kids, the parents. It's not the kids' fault. It's the parents' fault. Let me tell you something. Passive parenting does not work. Jacob tried it. Jacob tried passive parenting. Jacob tried it. It didn't work for him and it won't work for me and you. Let's look at Jacob's example. When he learned of Reuben, Reuben's infidelity with his own wife, Jacob did nothing. Jacob until he was on his deathbed. Um, when Simeon and Levi killed all the men in Shechem, you know what Jacob did about it? Nothing. He didn't say anything about it. He didn't do anything about it. When Joseph went and gave Jacob the evil report of his brothers, there is no evidence in Scripture that Jacob lifted one finger to correct his children. And let me tell you something, passive parenting, it's not something new. It's not something that new age people just came up with today. Uh, uh, they've been trying it in the Bible for a long time. Jacob is our latest example of someone who tried passive parenting, and it does not work. Why does it not work? Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Listen to this. But a child left to himself bringeth his, his mother to shame. A child left to himself. You cannot leave a child to themselves. Oh, well, well, he just on his own wanted to play with Barbie dolls because you didn't teach him how to be a boy. You didn't teach him, son, put that Barbie doll down and pick up a G.I. Joe. Leave a child to their own. They don't know anything. You have to teach them. Let me tell you something. You need to know who your children's friends are. You need to know what they're influencing your children to do. You need to know what your kids are looking at on the Internet. 
You need to know what your kids are text messaging on their phone. You need to know because you have to be involved you have to be involved in it now let's get back to Joseph what happened to Joseph Joseph's wicked brothers they were like a powder keg of dynamite with the fuse ready to be lit and just ready to explode and it would take just the smallest spark to set them off and when they saw Joseph coming over that hill and that coat of many colors, which, by the way, we talked about last week, that coat, it signified that he would get the birthright. And when they saw him crest that hill with that coat of many colors, the fuse was lit. And you can almost hear Joseph as he walks up to his brothers and he talks to his brothers and say, brothers, listen, daddy misses you. Father misses you. Father is in Hebron. He's in the place of fellowship. He wants you to go join him. He wants you to go. Father wants you to go and be in fellowship with him because he loves you. And what they say, to, what, what, what Jesus do? Jesus come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The parallel to Jesus is obvious. But you know what? Joseph's brothers here they attempted to thwart God's plan. This is where that sovereignty of God comes in. So Joseph had had these dreams that he was going to be the ruler. And so they're thinking, okay, if he's dead or if he's sold off in a slave, how could he ever be our ruler? I mean, dad's already given him the coat of many colors. And usually that's a sign that he's going to get the birthright. So if he stuck around, that dream might come true. But we're going to circumvent that. We're going to subvert that. We're going to, uh, we're going to take that out of the equation. If we kill him or if we sell him into slavery, there's no way one day we would bow down to Joseph. The old saying is many people find their fate on the road they take to avoid it. And that is definitely true with Joseph's brother's case. They were trying to circumvent and thwart the will of God with the words, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. See, these dreams were revelation from God, so they're trying to circumvent the will of God. And can you do that with a sovereign God? No, you cannot. Even as they cast Joseph into the pit, you can hear them mocking Joseph and making fun of Joseph and saying, Joseph, uh, uh, you tell my dreams. Tell me what my dream is. Hey, hey, that dream's done turned into a nightmare, hasn't it, Joseph? And, you know, maybe for a second, maybe Joseph was thinking, man, this isn't what I envisioned. Man, when God gave me this vision and this dream that one day I would rule over my family, this isn't how I envisioned it. There are many men in Scripture who God gave a vision to, but that vision seemed to collapse around them. Let's think about Moses. Moses, 40 years old, knew he was to be the deliverer of Egypt. But it wasn't until on the backside of the desert at 80 years old that dream finally came true. And let's talk about David. David was anointed to be king as a teenager. 
But man, David ran for his life and lived in caves, even living with the enemy, even living with the Philistines for years before he ever heard the words, God save the king, pointed in his direction. And then you have Peter. The apostle Peter, he drew his sword to protect Christ and defend Christ and to defend anybody that came against Jesus. And just a few hours later, he was sitting around a campfire listening from his own lips, somebody cursing and rejecting Christ. You see, sometimes, maybe you too, maybe you have seen your dreams come, maybe you've seen your dreams go. What Jesus say about that? He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Sometimes what you want will have to die before you can get something better. Uh, the book of Proverbs says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Don't get discouraged if the dream isn't forthcoming. Have patience and the sovereignty of God. And I promise you, he will give you more than what you're asking for. And then number three this morning, God's plan moves forward. God's plan moves forward. God, through the wicked actions of Joseph's brothers, intended the beginning of a trial for the 17-year-old boy to be for his good. Joseph, at the end of the scripture we read this morning, is now in Potiphar's house. He's in Egypt. And none would suspect that this is the will of God for him. He's a slave. If far away from home, but this is the will of God. How do we know this? Because of Genesis 15, 13 through 14. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with a great substance. So God is telling Abraham of the hardship and the, and the suffering and the slavery that, that his people would have to endure in Egypt. And then after four generations, he would bring them back to the promised land. So the question is, why did Jacob leave the promised land in the first place? Well, there are some reasons that come to mind. Maybe some of the reasons because he saw how his children are being affected by the people of Canaan. And those people in Canaan were affecting his children in a bad way and he had to get them out of there. You know what, that's okay for you to do, mom and dad. It's okay if your kids are in a bad situation. It is your job not to just sit back and not do anything about it. It's your job to reach in and pull them out and do something about it while you can. Because there's a coming a day when you're not going to be able to do anything. So do it while you can do it. Then they had not yet seen the mighty power of their God. They hadn't seen God work. Through Joseph in Egypt, they will see the power of God. And then they would need to go through the fire of affliction to prepare them for a taste of glory. And man, we see that over and over in Scripture. Why am I having to go through this, God? Because you have to go through the fire of affliction before you can taste glory. I saw a message in a devotional not too long ago, and it was called A Message from God. 
And I think it shows his love and concern for us very beautifully. I want to read it to you. This is as if God is speaking. My precious child, I am in control. I am sovereign. I am able to make things happen the way I want them to go. Yes, I allow you to make your own choices, and I know you don't fully understand how those ideas can operate side by side. But I'm able to work within and around your choices to make, to cause my ultimate purposes to succeed. For this, you must trust me. Ask me about your choices and plans. My wisdom is yours if you'll ask. If you want to cooperate with my plans, I want you to cooperate with my plans. When the people around you don't do that, be assured I am still in control. I will fulfill my plan. Their choices are their own, but I'm still in control. Trust me, I'll use it for your good. Lovingly, your heavenly father, the king. Are you still asking the question, who's in charge? God is in control. Has the providences of God escaped your vision? Are you frustrated with the circumstances in your life that God has intended for your good, forgetting that all these things are for your sake, the good and the bad? See, just as easily as we can see the life of Christ play out in Joseph's life, if we look at our life, we can also see the life of Christ unfolding in us. God had as much control over Joseph's life when he was in the pit as when he was in the throne ruling from Egypt. God was in control when Jesus was himself despised and rejected of men. And Christian, I'm telling you, this is a theme that we'll stick with throughout this entire series. I don't know what you're going through, but God is in control.